One of the greatest lessons in life is learning how to respond to different situations. No one just naturally knows, we don't naturally know how to respond to situations in our life. And from the earliest, our earliest days, our mom and dad taught us, they've taught us things, you know, what to say in certain situations, what to do, and... Um, and, and, and all those types of things. So we need, we need kind of an education. We need to be encouraged in the proper response in certain situations. We have to learn how to respond to, to people in ways that are acceptable and reasonable. You can't just fly off the handle anytime you want to. It's not acceptable, right? It's not reasonable. It's not a reasonable response. We need to learn how to demonstrate patience and self-control. We can't take gifts and love that we receive from others for granted. We should show gratitude and appreciation, right? Because that, those are important responses that we need to learn how to, to, to do. There's a right way to respond to people and to situations, and there's, there's a wrong way, there's a way, and there, more, there may be more than one right way, there, there may be more than one way to say things or to respond in situations. But the most important response we can learn in life, I believe, is how to respond to God, right? How do we respond to God? And tonight's message is about responding to God. And, and, and it's Paul who, in, in this portion of Scripture we're going to look at, literally urges all of us tonight how to respond to God. And the reason why the response is needed is because God has done something. God has done something that needs a response that demands in that sense a response. So there has to be a response. And, and I guess no response to God is a response in, in that sense. So we need to learn how to respond to God. Paul has been making this case in the book of Romans about man's condition. From the first chapter, if you go back, just a little re re refresher here. You go back to the first chapter, it's, man, he's laying on a, a sobering case of the condition of man without God that, that, that man has literally been given up, given over to, to, to sin, to corruption, to literally committed to sin in that sense. We've fallen short of the glory. We, we've, there's, you know, there's no one that's righteous. No one does what's right. We're, we're just lost in our sins. We're, the wages of sin is death. And, and, and he's just been laying this out for all these chapters. And then in the last couple of chapters, he's been laying out what God did about all that. That he, that, that he was the perfect sacrifice, that he gave his life on the cross, that he's extended love and mercy. And then this last chapter, chapter 11, has been an entire chapter about the mercy of God and how the mercy of God has been extended 
to the Jews and then in their rejection to the Gentiles and then it's going to come back around to the, the Jews responding to the mercy of God again. And, and he's just been laying this out, this love of God for the people of the world and, and, and the giving of his son Jesus to die for sinners. So he's just done this. Really, it's been a meticulous job of laying out the condition of man and the response of God to man's condition, which kind of brings us to this passage of Scripture tonight, which is literally what Paul then urges as the response, the correct response, the, 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 the reasonable response to God in light of everything that has already been told. So he lays out exactly what we should do in light of man's condition and God's mercy. So the first thing that he urges us to do is to present your life, to present your life to God. Let's pick it up. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12. It says this, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul here, well, let's deal with that first part there. He says, I beseech you, therefore. In some translations, it actually just starts off with the therefore. And whenever you come to a therefore in Scripture, it's important to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And this therefore is therefore everything that Paul has already said in the first 11 chapters, that man is lost without God, that man is in sin, that we are just, we've fallen short of the glory. And everything that God has done for us, that, that he sent his son, that he was the perfect sacrifice, that he, that he laid his life down, that he's the gift of God, that, that if, 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 if we respond to God, that we can be set free from sin and we can be in a position with God, reconciled to him, not having any condemnation, and, and that we can receive the love and the mercy of God. And so Paul here begins this section. He says, therefore, brothers, I, I urge you. No one says beseech anymore, right? <laughs> I beseech you. You may have a different translation. It says, I urge you. I urge you. I implore you, brothers. And then it says, by the mercies of God. Really in view of God's mercy. You might have a translation that reads that way. In view of God's mercy. In view of everything I've been saying, I've been pouring it on thick. I've been talking to you about the mercy of God. I've been talking to you about how awesome the mercy of God is. How, how, how merciful God is. How he's, he's just long-suffering. He's so merciful. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to, to, to come to the gospel. He wants everyone to hear it. He wants everyone to accept it. 
And so in view of God's mercy, you should present your body as a living sacrifice to God. And so we see here that the proper response to God, to what God has done for us, is to give our body to the Lord, to give our body as a living sacrifice, to present it, to give it. Now the question would be, why would you give your body? Why would you present your body as a living sacrifice? Why would you present and give your body to the Lord? Because your body is all that you have to offer. <laughs> really, I mean, the body in Scripture here kind of represents everything that you are. It, the idea here is that it represents your life. Everything that you are, I mean, your soul is, you, well, you have your body, which is like everything physical about you, right? All your different systems, your, your broken limbs and your, your, your good limbs and, and everything else, right? And, and, and so you have your physical self, and then you have, you, have your, you have your brain, of course, and then you have your mind, whatever that is. Scientists don't even know what that is, but it seems to be something that's separate from the brain. And then you have your, your soul. You have your soul. So, um, or your spirit. And it's all contained in the body. So Paul says, give your body as a living sacrifice to God. The body contains everything, our, our emotions, our minds, our thoughts, our desires. In that, in that sense, it's everything that we are. So the body represents the total person. And, and we must offer him all that we are. If we're, the, the, the proper response to God in light of everything that he's done in view of God's mercy, and in, in, therefore in view of all this stuff that we've said, the, the response is to give ourselves, to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, to present everything that we are to the Lord. The idea of presenting here is the idea of to, to present, to, to provide, to place a person or thing at one's disposal, to, to, to give yourself to the Lord. And, and he says to give your body as a living sacrifice. And that's to give it all. And and. And just as, as Jesus gave everything for us, in that sense, we're to give everything for God. And, and so this is the thing we need to see. We need to see that there's not, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's not just, well, hey, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you want to accept it here, you know, give him two bucks or 10 or 20 or 100 no, 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 give him everything that you are. Take your body and present it to him as a living sacrifice because that's the only thing that you can do that's a proper response. Paul says, I urge you to do this. I implore you, if I could, if I could help you in any way, make this decision, it's the best thing that you could ever do in your life. It's the most important decision that you could ever make, right? I mean, there's three big, there's three big decisions, right? The, the most important one, the, the biggest decision is giving your life to Jesus. And then you have who you're gonna spend your life with and then what are you gonna do with your life, right? And then everything else just kind of doesn't get as serious from there, you know? <laughs> 
Everything else is a lot less. If you, hey, if you get those three right, by the way, if you get those three right and heading in the right direction, life is amazingly a whole lot better <laughs> than getting those three things wrong because you can create a lot of problems in your life. First, if you know, you, you got a lot of problems just living for yourself, just living for yourself. And part of responding to God is presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice as if to say, I'm, I'm living for you. I'm a living sacrifice. Um, the imagery here, of course, and you've heard me mention this before, this is passage of scripture that I bring up all the time. And if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't, I don't know how you can't bring this verse of scripture up all the time. And I do. Because it's the idea of presenting yourself as the burnt offering. The, the imagery here is the burnt offering presented, the one that we looked at in Leviticus, right? Present yourself as that burnt offering totally consumed, that, that, that offering that would be totally given to God, totally at his disposal, right? And this is, this is what you do when you give your life to God. It's 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 everything. It's everything. And the question is, why should you do it? Why should you do it? Well, he says, in view of God's mercy, by the, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, you think of the mercy that he has, that he's willing to forgive you and, and lift you out of the, I mean, literally, you don't, the non-Christian doesn't see themselves in this condition too easily. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, right? Because the non-Christian, hey, they're just out there doing their thing, and you know, they, it might seem like everything's, a, everything's great. But the Holy Spirit wants to come along and, and, and show you, hey, things aren't great. This isn't a bowl of cherries. This is the pits. This is a this is a this is the miry clay. This is the you're down in the the lowlands. You are sinking down. And God wants to come by you by the Holy Spirit, convince you and convict you of your sin so that he can raise you up out of that miry clay and put your feet up on a rock. And he wants to do that. And he's provided everything in order to do that. He's he's satisfied the the justice of God in the sacrifice he's given of his own life so that there can be that trade of, of his life for your life. So wow, so the, the mercies of God. I think you really need to take a look at that. You take a look at the mercies of God that he has offered to you, that he's offered to each one of us. And it kind of makes this whole thing a little bit easier to look at and easier to swallow in terms of, okay, I'm going to give my whole life. I'm going to put my body as a living sacrifice up on the altar. I'm going to give him everything. Well, hey, why not? He gave us everything. He gave us everything. And that's really the response to the gospel. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you'll try to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It's like a paradox of the gospel. And this is what we see here. If you'll give yourself to Christ as a living sacrifice, you will find that you have a life. 
and he gives you a life and a life to the full. Life, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Life to the full, life overflowing. And I have found that to be true as I've lived my life as a believer since a little boy. And it, it hadn't all been easy. It hadn't all been, you know, a primrose path. But it's been life to the full. Amen? Because it's always going to be that when you give your life to Jesus. Because he fills us with him and he gives us, he gives us a life to live for him. And when we live for him, we live for eternity. We live for the glory. And there's no better life than that. And when you live your life for God, when you give your life to God, a couple things happen. Look at that. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. One of the things that happens to your life when you give it to the Lord is your life will be holy. Your life actually becomes holy when you give your life to God. That's an amazing thing right there. The word holy is the word, it's, it's, it's a word hagios. It actually means, well, it's, it's got a lot there. You know, there's a couple of ideas there. There's the idea of, of holy, of pure. There's the idea of set apart. There's an idea of being a part of the holy ones of God, the heavenly host even, connected to God's heavenly family, and then he's building an earthly family. Amen? So there's a lot. So, so, so our lives are set apart. Our lives become holy when you present your life. And that's why Paul addresses all the, you know, most of his letters he'll say to the saints at Rome. That's, what he, that's how he opened this letter. Mm -hmm. To the saints at Rome, right? To the holy ones at Rome. Right, why? Because if you've given your life to God, if you've given your life as a living sacrifice, then it's been made holy. You're set apart to God and that's what God continues to do in your life. And so I think there's also that idea of setting apart. That he's setting us apart. And, and that's important. <laughs> We need to, we talked about it on Saturday night, right? About being in and not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're here, we're walking around, but we're, but we're set apart. We're, we're, we're set apart for another kingdom. And there is, an, there is a sense that, and I was actually, I had a phone conversation today with uh, a friend of mine and we were talking about something and I, we were talking about just everything that's going on in the world. And, 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 and I, I just said, I don't know why I said this, but I said, well, you know, God's called us to, to occupy till he comes, right? And I remember the old Petra song, Occupy, right? And, and so we, we had a little chuckle about that, but that's, we're, we're called to, 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 be, to be God's that in, that, in that in our lives, he is setting us apart for him, Amen. There's an idea at the glorious appearing. You, you, if you look at the, the end time scenario, there's this idea of the glorious appearing of Christ. And the idea there is literally that like, you know, he, he appears. 
you know, Jesus, the angels, when Jesus ascended into heaven, right, the disciples are sitting there looking up into the heavens, and Jesus is gone. The angels come and say, look, he's, he's gone, but he's going to return just like he just left. He's going to appear. And, and so he's going to appear. That time is going to come. There's going to be that glorious appearing. And when that glorious appearing comes, we will also be revealed. There's this idea of the ones that are truly the holy ones of God at that time are going to be revealed. The, 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 the church, the ones that have been called out, the ones that, that have responded, the ones that have given their life as a living sacrifice, the ones that are holy and set apart for God, the, the ones that are in and out of the world. The, the, we will be revealed when he is revealed. Amen? And I'll tell you what, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing. I think there's going to be a lot of surprise. Surprise? Who was it? Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. That was Gomer. I think that was Gomer Pyle. I think there's going to be a lot of surprise. There's going to be a lot of surprise. There's going to be a lot of surprise. But you don't have to be surprised. That's right. You don't have to be surprised about where you stand if, you, if you'll give your life to God. So when you give your life to God as a living sacrifice, the first thing that happens is holy. You become holy. Second thing is your life, your life will be acceptable. Your life is acceptable. Acceptable means well-pleasing. Well-pleasing, acceptable. When you present your life to God, you are accepted. Amen? You are accepted in the beloved. In the what? In the beloved, in the church, in the bride of Christ. You're accepted in the family of God. You, you are accepted. When you give your life, when you present your life, you're accepted. And Jesus talked about this acceptance in John chapter 6, verse 37. I'll throw this verse on the screen behind me. He says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Wow, I, I, I really like this verse a lot. <laughs> Something, there's a lot that resonates to me. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the question is, will you come? Will you come to the Lord? Have you come? All that the Father gives to the Son will come to him. And those that come, he says, I will by no means cast out. Your life will be acceptable. You're, you'll be holy, holy, acceptable to God. When you give your life and make it a living sacrifice, it's holy and acceptable. And the decision is one more thing, is reasonable. It's reasonable. Look at that verse one there, which is your reasonable service. Other, other translations actually literally say your reasonable worship, right? Your reasonable service to God. It is very reasonable. Now, there are those that say giving your life to God is not reasonable. In fact, there are those today that would say that Christian people, people of faith, people that love God, people that sit and listen to the Bible taught, 
for an hour on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Saturday night, that those are the most, those are unreasonable people. They're, they're irrational. They're not rational or reasonable. Paul would actually say the opposite is true, that it is reasonable. It's the most reasonable thing that you can do. In fact, the word for reasonable here in the Greek is actually the word logikos. It's actually where we get our word for logical, logic, logical. It's, it's perfectly logical and reasonable to give your life to God. Well, you can, I guess you could put it in the form of a syllogism. God is the creator. God created you. You were away from God. God sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could have a way to life that's only logical to give your life. I mean, you'd have to go back and refute all those premises, and people would stroke, you know, try to do that. I think, it's, I think it holds up. I think it's logical. I think it's logical. You know, we, we have a faith that is based on, you know, we don't have a blind faith. People think of Christians as having a blind faith, right? We don't have a blind faith. We actually have an evidence-based faith. We have a faith that's based on evidence. We, we have evidence that there is a God. We have evidence that, that God sent his son into the world and he became the perfect sacrifice. And, and the answer to our lives and the answer to our, our sin problem. And that is the evidence for the life of Christ, the evidence for the death of Christ, and the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And if you want to spend the time, you can look into the evidence. There's actual evidence for the resurrection. Logical evidence. So without getting all down into that tonight, let me just say this. It's, we have an evidence-based faith so that we put our trust in God and in his gospel based on the evidence and what has been revealed to us. And so it's logical, it's reasonable. So then Paul goes on in verse two. He says, be transformed. Present your life and then be transformed. Let's look at it in verse two. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. Conformed means to conform oneself to another's pattern, to another pattern to be conformed into another pattern. You see, there's a pattern, there's another pattern that is the world's pattern. 
It's a pattern of the world, and the world, the, the things of the world will, will conform you into that pattern. And Paul would say, when you give your life to God, when you present your body as a living sacrifice, that's great. It's holy, it's acceptable, it's reasonable, good job. You're worshiping God now. Now, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, there's an interesting translation of this verse that I want to put up on the screen, and it's actually from the Phillips translation. Anybody ever heard of the Phillips translation? No, but you're, you'll, you'll like this translation of verse 2. It says this, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So I think that that really kind of puts a, a picture for us. You know, don't, 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 let, don't let the world put you into its mold. Because see, the world is, you know, I've preached this, this message right here is a, is a gospel message. And, and I've preached this a bunch of different ways because there's a bunch of passages that basically say this same thing. In fact, Saturday night was very much this message about whether, you, whether Daniel was going to allow himself to be conformed into the culture of Babylon or whether he was going to be continued to, to be a person transformed and, and given to God. And he made that decision that he was going to live for God. He made that decision that he was going to, to you know, present himself to God. And so that he did not allow himself to be conformed to the pattern of Babylon, to the pattern of the world. You see the, the same idea in Genesis 11, in the idea of the, the, the building of the city of man, the city of the world, it, with Babylon. And there's a verse in chapter 11, verse 3, it says they were building with bricks, right? They're building with bricks. And bricks are a building product that is a... a a, a manufactured building product that is, is conformed to a pattern. Mm -hmm. And all of the bricks are conformed to that same pattern. And so that's how the world wants to do it. That's what the world wants to do. The world wants you conformed into your, to its pattern. But see, God doesn't build with bricks. We learn in Scripture that that God builds with living stone, with stones. Yes. Stones are very individual. There's, they're not the same. There's different angles. There's different things to it. And, and God makes this point through the apostle Peter, you're a living stone. We learned that he's a stone and you're a living stone. So how many different ways have we brought this same point up in Peter and Genesis and Daniel now in, in Romans, this is a gospel message. This is what it means to respond to the gospel, that we're no longer being conformed to the pattern of this world, that we're called out, that we're called out. That's actually what the word, the, 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 that's what the church is. People say, oh, the church, the church, the church. And so-and-so church, such-and-such -such church. Be interesting if everyone really knew what the word church actually means. 
It's, in the New Testament, it's this word. It's ekklesia. Ek meaning out, klesia meaning called. It's literally called out. It's the ones who have literally been called out of the world to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to literally be built up into the holy temple of God as living stones, as Paul said in Ephesians, being fit together as a dwelling place for God. So don't let the world squeeze you into a brick, but be a living stone for God. How does the world do it? Well, there's a fine line of understanding this. There's style, and then there's worldliness. Okay? So what we're talking about, we're not talking about style. You know, we're not talking about, oh, well, you know, you look cool with the jean jacket and the vans and the whatever, whatever else it Whatever else it could be that would be cool, right? Or stylish. Style is one thing. Worldliness, being of the world, conformed to the pattern of this world, something else. It, it deals with who we are on the inside. Deals with how we think. Deals with wh- how we understand who we are. And it really does have a lot to do with our thinking. And that's why Paul goes on to the next point. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it's not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but renewed in your mind. What does it mean to be renewed in your mind? It means to actually have a new thinking. It means to come out of the thinking of the world and have a new thinking that now as a believer, someone who's literally taken your life and taken your whole self, put it on the altar for God, now it's wholly acceptable. You've done a reasonable, logical thing by giving your life to God. And now you're going to not, no longer be conformed to the world. You're gonna renew your mind. You're gonna have your mind renewed. You're gonna have a new way of thinking. It can't be the same way. It can't be the same way. And I think this is where a lot of Christians struggle because they want to hang on. You want to hang on to that old way of thinking. And part, a lot of people have a lot of problem in their life and they, they're, they're, they're like, well, I'm a Christian and I'm going to services and I'm, and I'm you know, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm not, you know, they're like Bob Wiley. They're like, you know, I'm putting in the work. I'm not a slacker. You know, but they're missing one important part. And that's actually allowing your mind to be renewed. And we've learned this, church. We've learned how is your mind renewed? Well, Paul talks about this idea of, the, of, the, of Jesus washing the bride, the bride that, the, that the bride is renewed, the washing with the water of the word, right? So there's a work of the spirit through the word and through his spirit, whereas our mind is renewed. And it's so important. And, you know, I used to think that, like, you know, that, you know, if you, you grow up in certain churches and, like, you know, it's like, you know, well, it's a work of the Spirit and the, the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit's going to just, you know, do it. Well, you know what? The, there's an there's a, there's a incredible thing that the Holy Spirit did. He breathed 
and inspired men to write down some words that have been preserved for us so that we have to understand that a, a great work of the Holy Spirit is the word. Yeah. <laughs> Paul put it this way, it's God breathed. The word there is pneuma. It's actually the word for the spirit. It's, it's, it's inspired by God for a particular task of doing exactly what this passage is saying, renewing our minds, bringing, uh, bringing correction and discipline and discipleship and teaching and doctrine. And one of those words in there in that famous passage, 2 Timothy 3.16 Right, One of those words there actually has the meaning of the setting of a broken bone. So I can, I can relate to this right now. <laughs> that the life of the non-believer is broken and what God wants to do is he, wants, he saves you, he transforms you, he renews your mind and he wants to set right which, that which was broken. And so we've got to allow him through his word to set right that which was broken. And we got to realize that the thing that was probably the most broken, although you'd probably say, oh, well, my emotions were broken and my spirit was broken and my body was broken and whatever. Some of it, our thinking is, was broken. We had bad thinking. We had a mind that wanted to do. We were controlled. We were, like as Paul says, that those under the, under the sway of the wicked one, crazy. And so renewing your mind, renewing your mind. Amen. Now he ends it. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So not only is this a response to the gospel. Not only is Paul laying out and presenting the perfect response to the gospel. This is it. What should we do? Oh, ding, 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 ding. This is it. This is, the, this is the textbook perfect response to the gospel, right? But not only is it the perfect response to the gospel, but it's a way for the believer then to walk in the will of God, to actually find out what the will of God is and to be in it and to walk in it. Because what does he say? He says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says that you may prove. That you may prove it. That, that, that you may be, that's like you're a test case. <laughs> you're a test case of actually the will of God. So how do, you, how do you actually find yourself in the will of God? Well, if, if this is the response and the response is going to bring about that you may prove, that you may test what is the will, then you have to, how you find yourself in the will of God is if you do everything that we've already said in the first two, verse and a half. That's how you find, you know, the will of God, you could do a whole teaching on the will of God. And everyone wants to know what the will of God is and how do I find the will of God and how do I know if I'm in the will of God? And, and 
is the will of God like a line in the middle of the road and, and I want to make sure that I, I stay on that line and I don't want to go to the right or the left? Yeah, there's that, that idea in Scripture, but it's more than that. It's, 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 it's being His. It's living for Him. And, and if you'll do what this has said, if you'll present your body, here, here, here's, you want to find out what the will of God is for your life. You, you, you want to? Okay. Come on in. Sit down. We're going to have a counseling session. Come on in and have a seat, Pluto. You're no longer a planet. <laughs> Remember that? He's no longer a planet. I think he's I think back to being a planet, right? He's back? Yeah, he's back. Yeah. Yay for Pluto. <laughs> How do you find out what's the will of God? Well, the first thing he wants you to do is give your whole self to God. Give everything that you are, present your body as a living sacrifice to God and let him set you apart. Let him bring you and accept you and bring you into the family. And then I want you to do this. No longer be conformed or allow yourself to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but begin to allow the spirit to change and renew your mind and your thinking through the word and the work of the spirit that he wants to do in your life. And begin to live every day for the Lord exactly like that. Now, if you'll do that right there, you will find yourself tomorrow in the will of God and the next day and the next day. And you'll wake up in a year and you'll go, wow. And you'll wake up in five years and go, wow. It's an amazing, amazing thing. An amazing thing. Now, that may actually bring about some change in your behavior, may bring, bring about some change in your, in your decision-making process. You may find yourself, let's, 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 let's just be honest, like, you know, hey, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, after that, whatever that was, it's like, wow, that was dumb, right? It's dumb. You go, fly, come on. Right? It's dumb stuff, dumb stuff. But the more you give your life to the Lord, the more you present your body as a living sacrifice, the more you're renewing your mind in the word, the more you're allowing the spirit to do his work in your life, the more you're waking up every day and you're making sound decisions, you're making sound biblical God-honoring decisions. I want to end with this because we're right at 8 o'clock. I want to end in this. He says prove. Prove what is the will of God the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. How do you prove it? How do you test it? Well, when you do those things, you literally, through giving your life to God and having your mind renewed in the book, you're in the process of literally testing and finding out what it is that actually does please God. What is it that pleases God? Paul actually says this, and I'll end on this. He literally says this to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 10. He says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. And do that. I actually use this verse. I'll, I 
wrapping this up. But the idea there of finding out, testing, finding out is the, is the actual word that actually has to do with the testing of metals. To finding out if something actually is the metal that it actually is supposed to be, that it's said to be. That it actually is the pure, the real thing, right? You don't want a fool's gold, you want a real deal, right? You want to get up to the counter and go, oh, well, no, this is a counterfeit, right? You want to find out that you've got the real deal and how you do that is by giving your life to Christ, by having your, your mind renewed in the word and God is going to, to lead you in that way and it will please him. It will please him. It will please the Lord, amen? And that's why he made the whole world. That's why he made the whole world. You find the reference in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, that they are and were created for his pleasure, right? So how do you respond to God? The only logical thing to do, give your whole self to God every day of your life.